You're listening to AIB Market Talk with our latest financial market update. Hello and welcome to our weekly AIB Market Talk and Brexit update. Today is Tuesday the 25th of February. My name is Cormac Canan from AIB Treasury and I'm joined today by Oliver Mangan, AIB's Chief Economist, to discuss the latest market developments and Brexit. Ollie, last week we saw the US dollar hit a three-year high on a trade-weighted basis against the euro. What is driving this dollar appreciation and what is the near-term outlook? Yes, indeed, uh, the dollar has been strong this year. Uh, To put it in context, the dollar has been at elevated levels now for the last five years, high levels against a broad range of currencies. Uh, It did take a bit of a breather last year because we saw a slowdown in the US economy and we saw the Fed cut rates on three occasions. But this year, uh, we've seen the dollar pick up strength again and go back to three-year highs. Uh, And it's against a broad range of currencies, the yen, sterling, the euro, uh, Aussie dollar, Kiwi dollar. So we're seeing broad-based dollar strength. Uh, what's propelled the currency higher in the last five years has been the underlying strength of the US economy and relatively high interest rates uh, compared to elsewhere. And that is, I think, a key factor which has re-emerged recently in terms of this renewed dollar strength. We've seen, we've seen some very good data out of the US economy the last couple of months. In particular, the uh, employment report for January was very strong, well over 200,000 new jobs uh, at a time when the unemployment rate is down at 3.5%. We're seeing uh, renewed strength in the housing market, a pickup in house building activity, home sales, etc. And uh, the, you know, the, the biggest part of the economy is the services sector, and certainly the survey data for the services sector has been strong in the last couple of months. So having seen a moderation in activity last year and cuts in US interest rates, um, the the economy is picking up strength. Now, it may well be a response to the lower interest rates in the US, uh, but it is gaining momentum. uh, And if we're talking six months ago, we would have been referring to market expectations that the US economy could go into recession. All that talk has evaporated. Uh, now, I'm not saying we're back to buying growth in the US, but we, you know, w- what the data are pointing to is strong underlying growth in the US economy at a time when a lot of other economies are, are, you know, are, are struggling for growth, and we think of the Eurozone in particular. So that's been a key factor behind dollar strength. Another factor, I think, has been the outbreak of the coronavirus. Now, we know the dollar is a large reserve currency. Uh, we see flights to quality or, or safe haven currencies uh, like the dollar and the Swiss franc at times of uncertainty in financial markets. And there is nervousness in financial markets about the outbreak of the coronavirus. Uh, we can see the weakness in stock markets yesterday. Um, so that is helping to uh, the US dollar to gain ground as well in, the, in, in recent weeks. Thank you, Ali. Um, as I mentioned in my last question, we've seen the euro fall to a three-year low to below 108 last week. Is the euro likely to fall much further against the US dollar? Well, I suppose, to some extent, the euro is the exact opposite of what's going on with the dollar. I mean, the data in the eurozone have remained weak. So while we've seen a pickup in data in the US and indeed the UK, we haven't seen that in the Eurozone. And the figures have generally been subdued enough. And we know the Eurozone growth was very weak last year. So And the expectations are that growth will certainly remain weak in 2020. So that's been a factor weighing on the Euro. Now, it's I wouldn't want to overstate it's, it's true that the, 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 you know, the dollar-euro has dropped to 108, which is a three-year low. You know, the dollar has strengthened against all currencies. I mean, the euro is not an outlier here. And what I would say is even last year, you know, the, the euro 
was was within an hour range. It traded between 109 and 115 against the dollar. But if you looked at it over the course of the year, it was sort of edging lower because of that underlying weakness in the economy and it didn't collapse. So the first half of last year, you know, the euro's trading between 112 and 115. Then the second half of the year, between 19 and 112. So I think what we're seeing uh, this year is it's dipped below 109. It's got down to 108. It's not spiraling lower. I mean, it's been trading around 108 now for the past week. What we're more likely to see is, as happened last year, the euro edging down to a lower trading range against the dollar. So I would be surprised to see a trade of 106 or 105 to 109. The euro is at low levels. And um, if we think of the 20 or 21 year history of the euro, uh, it has only really traded below 105 on a sustained basis uh, for a couple of years back in 2000 and 2001, just 2002 when the, the single currency was getting underway. So there's what we call in the markets, there's very strong technical support for the euro uh, between 105, 106 and the 108, 109 levels. And what I mean by that is there's been a lot of training around that level in recent years. So you go back to 2015, 2016, that was quite uh, a, you know, a trading range that you know, held that uh, pair for quite a long period of time. So that will offer support to the currency this time around. So I know the Eurozone's weak uh, in terms of the economic data, but what we're really seeing here is dollar strength. The other thing is the dollar is high uh, the euro is relatively low. That will offer support as well. So I think we're, I'd be surprised if this is a sign of a marked downlink to the euro. I think it's going to just drift lower to trend in somewhat lower ranges than last year rather than at the start of a sharp fall by the single currency. Definitely one to watch there, Ali. Last week saw the UK's lead Brexit trade negotiators first public comments on the forthcoming EU-UK trade deal talks. What are the potential impacts of a free trade agreement for businesses? Well, we've been saying for quite some time that these trade talks are going to prove very, very difficult. Uh, and, you know, the reality is the hard part of Brexit is going to start now. I mean, the withdrawal agreement was about the exit terms in terms of uh, the circumstances under which the UK would leave the EU. What these negotiations are about is framing the future relationship, the long-term relationship, in particular the trade relationship between the EU and the UK. So, uh, and these talks are going to prove difficult because the UK and the EU are just coming at these talks from completely different positions. The, the view of the EU, not surprisingly, is that if you want access to the single market, well, then you've got to play by the rules and we have to have a level playing field and you have to follow EU rules, etc. And not surprisingly from the UK point of view is, well, we didn't leave the EU just to follow EU rules here. We will not be an EU rule taker. So that sets it up uh, in terms of it being difficult to reach a uh, uh, a common agreement in terms of where the where trade goes post-2020. Now, for people to understand, I mean, nothing's going to change this year, as we said before. We have the period until, the transition period till the end of 2020. The UK is operating on the customs rules. It's operating on the EU single market rules. There's no change for people in 2020. Uh, there will be big changes from 2021, even with a free trade deal unless there's an extension to the transition period which the UK has ruled out so assuming we get a trade deal by the end of the year the real impact of Brexit will be felt from the start of 2021 uh, and I would say um, you know the UK in particular has referenced the Canadian EU trade deal as a template that which it will be happy to follow if that's the case uh, it is indeed any free trade agreement is much inferior to the current single market arrangements. We, we need to be absolutely clear on that. It'll be much inferior. And secondly, you know, the UK has left the EU. 
Uh, it's a much bigger economy than Canada. It's located beside the EU, unlike Canada, which is on another continent. So it's on, you know, the, the EU will be far more cautious about the trade terms it gives to the UK uh, than it has given to Canada. If you look at the Can- Canadian tra- free trade deal, largely, um, you know, tariffs and quotas went. So I think it's probably fair to say that uh, a free trade agreement won't involve tariffs uh, or won't involve quotas, which would be restrictions on the amount you can trade between the two countries. But when you look at the Canadian Free Trade Agreement, um, you know, Canadian exporters have to abide by EU rules and regulations. There's very strict what we call rules of origin in place, which means the EU wants to be certain that the goods that is taken in from Canada are manufactured and sourced in Canada and not from elsewhere. Uh, I think people, both importers and exporters, should understand a couple of things. One is um, that come the end of the year and you move into 2021, uh, even with a free, free trade agreement, you will require customs documentation. Even if there's no tariffs, You the, the UK becomes a third country. It's outside the customs union. So all goods being transported back and forth between the EU, including Ireland and the UK, will require customs clearance documentation, even if there's no tariffs. Secondly, there may well be, as I say, rules of origin in place uh, to prove that the goods uh, are sourced in their, let's say, Ireland if they go to the UK or UK goods coming into the EU or from the UK. Think of the UK car industry uh, and bringing components in from China and maybe other countries. How are you going to do that? That involves a lot of documentation. We, we import a lot of goods ourselves from the UK. You want to be certain that the goods are coming from the UK, they're not sourced elsewhere. People refer to chlorine washed chicken in the in the US. So we don't want the UK to be a backdoor, or the EU doesn't want, or won't want the UK being a backdoor to access EU markets uh, and not abide by EU rules and regulations. So when you look at the research, um, all the indications are that firms find, um, okay, tariffs and quotas are one thing, you're certain about them, they're additional cost. The biggest cost the firms face in terms of international trade is actually where non-tariff barriers exist. And this involves documentation, like the customs clearance. Let's say you're using the land bridge route through Great Britain to get your goods from the Republic into mainland Europe. You require um, customs clearance documentation, you know, transit documentation, etc. And then you may have to comply with rules of origin. And then if the UK diverges with the EU over time, then you'll have divergence rules kick in. You'll have to you have to satisfy UK product rules, EU product rules. So these are all the additional costs. So I, I, Phil Hogan, the EU Trade Commissioner, referenced this. He felt there was a sense of complacency both here and in the UK and the EU. We have a transition period. We're going to get a trade deal, so everything will be okay next year. Things are going to change dramatically next year for firms that trade with the UK, both importers and exporters, and a lot of preparation and planning uh, needs to be put in place this year so firms uh, can, I suppose, have as smooth a transition as possible uh, to that new regime that a free trade agreement will bring, as it is completely different and completely inferior to a to a single market. The other thing to understand is free trade agreement agreements normally cover goods. They don't cover services. And we already see a lot of talk about the um, about whether the service sector in the UK, will it be included? Uh, what happens to financial services? So it goes back to the key point. Any free trade agreement will be much inferior to the current single market arrangements 
and involve a lot of extra costs for firms and a lot of preparation and work needs to be done to prepare for that. Interesting times ahead, Ali. Thank you very much for your insights and thanks to our customers for listening. To stay up to date on financial markets and Brexit, please press the subscribe button to AB's Market Talk on the podcast apps for iOS or Android. Speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. Allied Irish Bank's PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. First Trust Bank is a trademark of AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Allied Irish Bank GB and Allied Irish Bank GB Savings Direct are trademarks used under licence by AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.